Good to see you. So, um, uh, oh, let's take this off. Uh, we are, yeah, we're, as Meg says, we're jumping into the book of Acts tonight and um, we're going to have a bit of a swift run through it. So I would encourage you to find a Bible near you or find the book of Acts on your phone and we're going to have a swift run through. But um, because that's going to be kind of speedy, um, I'm going to start with a bit of music, which I hope is on the system. Uh, just for a little moment. Somebody wrote, the most ethereally beautiful music of the 20th century was first heard on a brutally cold January night in 1941 at the Stalag 8A, prisoner of war camp in Gorlitz in Germany. Do keep it going. So uh, I don't want to, I just love the cello, it's just so beautiful. Uh, The composer was Oliver Messiaen and the work was the quartet for the end of time. That's the music that we're listening to. Messiaen wrote most of it after being captured as a French soldier during the German invasion of 1940 and the premiere of this music took place in an unheated space in Barak Barak 27 sitting in the front row and shivering along with the prisoners were the German officers of the camp so Messiaen, the writer of this, this piece of music was a man of deep Christian faith and while he was in the camp Uh, He read the four Gospels again and again, and he read the book of Revelation. And it was from the book of Revelation that he he wrote this piece of music. One writer describes it in this way. He says, There are fiercely elegant dancers whose rhythms swing along to intricate patterns without ever obeying a regular beat. In the middle of these second coming jam sessions are episodes of transfixing serenity. In particular, two louanges, or songs of praise. Each has a drawn-out string melody over pulsing piano chords. Each builds towards a luminous climax and then vanishes into silence. The first is marked infinitely slow. The second tender and ecstatic. Beyond that, words fail. John Mark Comer, the Christian writer, says, I can't think of a more dramatic or more fitting picture of the kind of work we are to do this side of the resurrection this music that was composed in a place of of horror and darkness and cold and bleakness and inhumanity somehow reached towards a future and drew it into the present. John Mark Homer says, we are the people of the future in the present, just as this music sought to put something of the music of the future into a present which was deathly and bleak. We can fade it out now. You can listen to that at home if you like. 
There is a coming kingdom, the kingdom of King Jesus, and it is a victorious kingdom. We've been singing of that. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he triumphed over the final enemies of sin and death by taking them into himself, the Son of God himself, taking into himself sin and death. He destroyed their power once and for all so they can push back today, those enemies, sin and death in death-dealing ways like Nazism. But the in-breaking way of the kingdom of God is only headed in one direction, that the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, like this music breaking through. And by Messiaen's account, um, that the people in that, where it was first played, were listening in silence and rapt attention in the middle of this horror and cold and darkness and inhumanity. So I wanted to start our kind of reading of the book of Acts with that kind of image in our minds, the story of God's inbreaking kingdom, breaking into the world. Because I think if we look at the whole span of the book of Acts, that's the kind of big picture of it. We see uh, throughout the storyline of the book of Acts, we see the kingdom of God running into the things of humanity, of, of, um, of sin and death. Uh, it's a human story, so you would expect that to happen. We are still in, we're not yet in a place where the, the, the water, where the, where the glory of God has fully covered the earth as the waters cover the sea. We're going there, but we're not there quite yet. So you'd expect the kingdom of God to run in to the things of death and hell. But the book of Acts shows that as King Jesus is proclaimed and received and as he he transforms people's lives and communities' lives, the kingdom of God breaks in. So I wanted to start with that beautiful picture. And the the story of the book of Acts then is is our story. It's the book of Acts. uh, We take it on. It's, it's, of course, the act of the apostles, but in a way, it's really more of the act of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working through the followers of Jesus. And those of us that know Jesus have the Holy Spirit living in us. So this is our story that we get to pick up and run with. Uh, We can see that the kingdom of God is coming in the book of Acts and we can see how it's breaking in. And it's like like a melody played gently and defiantly in a prison camp. It speaks of something that is truer than the world, truer than death. And like that melody, it's carried, the, 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 the thread of the, the, the progress of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is carried by people. Messiaen wrote, wrote the, the piece of music that we just heard specifically for some specific musicians who were in the camp. There was a cellist, there was a pianist, there was a clarinetist. So he wrote for, uh, for a clarinet and a cello and a pianist. Um, so the music is different because of who was there and because of the gifts that they already had. And I think there's also something of, the, of that in the book of Acts and in our lives. One of the characteristic ways that God works, which is one of the crazy things about him, is that he chooses to work through human beings, through our particularity, through our, our particular gifts and our particular ways. It's, it's a mind-blowing aspect, I think, of, of the way in which we can understand God. If I think of myself, if I'm working on something and it goes wrong, uh, I've got a few ways forward that I go with this. See if you can relate to any of these. Um, I've got a number of documents on my computer called, that I name things like Ephesians Sermon, Third Try. One, so one thing I do when things go wrong or I can't quite get them going is that I just rip them up and start again. Everything is rubbish. Tear it down. Start again. Anyone, does anyone relate to this when something goes wrong? Yeah. Rip it all up. Start again. Or um, another way I deal with things that go wrong. I've got a cupboard in my house which has got a broken door and I tried to repair it 
with a certain kind of glue, it didn't work. Tried another kind of glue, didn't really work. Um, and eventually I sort of botched something together and it's kind of vaguely propped up. Um, and now it doesn't really, it doesn't really work at all because if I open it, the cupboard, it falls apart. So I kind of walked away from the project in a huff. Again, anyone relate to that? Things go wrong, walk away from the nut. Try, ah, oh, it didn't work. Forget it. I've also got another document on my computer entitled in capital letters, This Sermon is So Hard. So this is another instinct when things go wrong or I can't quite do them. Uh, it's not, it wasn't this happened. There was another one ages ago. Anyway, um, I, I sort of shout at them. This is so hard and I'm blaming it and I'm blaming everyone else apart from myself. Again, anyone relate to this as a way of dealing with things when things go wrong? Yeah, great. Okay. Not just me. So God, but God sees his creation. His creation was built from love and purpose for fruitfulness, but broken and therefore a realm where there is death and there is sadness and there's wrong. God's longing is still for fruitfulness, is still for fullness. The coming of his good and pleasing and perfect will over the whole of this broken creation. His strategy isn't to rip it up and start over again. It isn't to botch a few attempts and then walk off in a huff. It isn't just to blow it all up with blame and shouting, overwhelming what is wrong by simple terror. Those aren't God's ways. God chooses to use imperfect humanity to embody his kingdom, to carry its fragrance, to sing its melody, to play its melody like the musicians in the prison camp into this realm of earth. This is the crazy strategy of God's, that he plants his kingdom in imperfect humans like us and uses that to carry the fragrance of his kingdom over the whole earth. That is, again, the story of the book of Acts. Plant seeds of the kingdom amidst the dirt of a broken earth to allow his rule to spread like a fragrance or a melody through broken, imperfect people. So we've been looking at Old Testament pictures, as Meg said, um, of what it is called to be a royal priesthood. Everyone gets to play as part of the royal priesthood. In the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the invitation. Everyone gets to play in the book of Acts. So today's a quick overview, and over the coming weeks, we'll kind of go into some specific aspects. So this is like the really super quick speed through. Acts chapter 1 starts with Jesus saying to his people, uh, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 1 verse 8. Guess what happens in the book of Acts? They receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. They are witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's kind of like the big picture. Jesus gave a massive spoiler in... uh, Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, of what was going to happen. So, quick flip through. Uh, the action starts in Jerusalem, where the people of God become the temple of the living God. In the place where the temple was built, the people of God become that indwelling place of the Spirit, doing all that the first temple was designed to do, being a place of provision, being a place of justice, being a place of worship, the presence of God and the rule of God embodied in his people. First of all, in Jerusalem, witnessing to the presence and the rule of the God there. Then, flip to chapter 8, then they start to go to, literally to Judea and Samaria, as Jesus predicted. 
um, they go because they're persecuted. So one of the things we talked about in the priesthood, in, in the royal priesthood, is that priests lay things down, they sacrifice things, and this is what we see continuing to be worked out. So the people, the, 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 kingdom, the kingdom message spreads as people are laying down their lives. Sacrificial love is triumphing as the sacrificial love of Jesus ultimately triumphs. Um, I love the story at the end of chapter 8, on page 1101, um, Philip and the Ethiopian. Philip, uh, the apostle, he's, he's uh, running along the, uh, the, the, the Gaza road and, and he uh, gets up beside a chariot to, to speak to an Ethiopian eunuch about, um, about the kingdom of God, about Jesus and his, uh, his resurrection and how he fulfills all those prophecies that we were talking about. So we see, we see that Ethiopia in the Hebrew scriptures um, it, it is promised the land of Ethiopia will bring its riches to Yahweh, will come to know who, who God is. Psalm 68 verse 31, Ethiopia will stretch out its hands to God. And here we see that fulfilled uh, as nation after nation after nation comes to know who God is. Chapter 10 begins a huge deal in the book of Acts, the the, the saga of Cornelius. This is such a big deal to the writer of the book of Acts that he tells it three times. He first tells what what happened, then he puts it into the the, uh, lips, onto the lips of two other people who tell it again. It's like Paul, the writer of Acts, really, really doesn't want us to miss this story. So he tells it to us three times. He slows the action right down because this is the story of how the kingdom of God comes to the Gentiles as well. Now, this might seem like a technicality to us, but if you speed read through the book of Acts, we see what a big deal it is. And Paul, uh, the, the, Luke uh, cannot get over it. Paul, the writer of the, uh, much of the New Testament, can't get over it. This is a seriously big deal. I've just realized that I've, I've, I'm going to quote a book, which I've left in my bag, which I'm just going to come and get. Uh, hold on. Sorry about that. Dramatic tension. This is a book called uh, The Church in the Midst of Creation. It's quite old. I love this really 1970s cover. You love that? Like with these kind of crazy fire all over it. Um, Anyway, the gospel coming to the Gentiles um, is a seriously big deal. And I think this writer captures something of why, why that is. So the, the original understanding of the, of the gospel coming over to only to Jewish Christians had to be kind of um, had to be kind of recognised and had to be kind of wrestled with. Um, the, the original, the, the, otherwise, this was the alternative. The nations and cultures of the Roman Empire were not fit to receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, without they, the original receivers, um, mediating it. They saw no reason to look upon these unclean Gentile nations as sacred recipients of God's grace and truth. Therefore, they felt no necessity to reach out to those nations and, cu- and cultures as equals in the sight of God. No need for searching out, together with those cultures, the meaning of Christ for all of them. In more modern terms, they saw no need for cross-culturation. They were blinded by the fact that they had trapped Christ in their culture. That is today why this story is still so important and still so important for us to hear. It's almost as though someone had nudged Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, to say, tell this story three times because the church is going to need to hear it again and again and again. So three times this story is told that the the Gentiles are to be part of God's plan, to be included in his king, in, in, in Jesus' kingdom across the world, across cultures. 
chapter 15 recognised some of the challenges of this, of this, uh, of this incredible new thing that the, the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles. What does it mean that people are becoming followers of Jesus who aren't Jews? The first Christians, Jewish believers, understood who Jesus was because of their scriptures, because of their practices, because of the prophecies, the way that God had revealed himself to the Jewish people. How, they were thinking, how can people who don't know all that stuff, how can they understand who Jesus is? How can they understand the revelation of God in Jesus if they don't have this heritage? So there is a genuine question, and they had to wrestle with it, with scripture, with experience in community together. Is it possible to be a Christian without adopting the ethnic boundary markers of Judaism? This is part of the book of Acts, a really significant part of the book of Acts. And they find that, yes, it is. Gentiles can be Christians too. Uh, recently, another reason struck, uh, another reason struck me. Well, in conversation, why uh, why this is so important for us to grasp? Two new members of All Saints, or kind of returning members of All Saints, were recently um, elsewhere in the world. They were planting churches in a city uh, in the Middle East among Muslim background believers. And the areas in which they were planting churches were economically and culturally and socially very different to the sending church, which was full of people whose background, whose heritage was was Christian. So they were planting these churches in the new areas because otherwise these new believers who came to Christ from Muslim backgrounds uh, were having to adopt cultural and economic and social practices in order to be welcomed into the church culture. Things that weren't actually to do with uh, the the gospel, but things that they had to kind of um, change about themselves in order to be welcomed. The question was, would the sending church be able to lay down their own practices and preferences in order to be able to welcome new brothers and sisters in Christ from these new areas? The truth is that was a struggle. But the truth in this, in the book of Acts, in this story told three times, is that this is something we have to be ready to do to lay down our own stuff in order that new people can come to know who Jesus is. The book of Acts shows the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus, spreading through people who are living differently, laying down their own stuff because they're following Jesus. It's not God doing a kind of a scorched earth, rip it up and start again, but people choosing to live differently, trying and struggling, and it is a struggle, having to wrestle with the struggle of it, laying themselves down, and thus this challenging the most entrenched things in society. We see in the book of Acts that the gospel offers a religious challenge. It fatally, the good news of Jesus, fatally undermines division between Jew and Gentile by Jesus following, by Jesus followers following him and adopting new family relationships. The sociologists, the sociologists call these fictive families, fictive families who made one in Jesus. The gospel offers, we see in the book of Acts, an economic challenge. In chapter 7, we see Ephesian silversmiths start a riot because the, the, the gospel has fatally undermined an economy that is built on idolatry. I love that story. Like the, 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 the gospel is stopping people selling idols, idol statues. Again, uh, it's not through ripping it up, but through people living differently because of their following of Jesus. Do we think that the gospel of Christ can do a similar thing today? 
by, for example, followers of Jesus refusing to engage in certain economic practices because they're harmful? Do you think that the gospel of Jesus can fatally undermine the pornography industry, for example, today? I'd love to think that through Christ, that the inhumane parts of our economy can be fatally undermined because we as people who follow Jesus just don't engage in them? Or could the gospel of Jesus completely transform the way that social media operates? I'd love to believe that it can. And my, the pattern that we get in the book of Acts is not through people ripping it up and starting it again, but simply through choosing to live differently. And this, the, the, the powerful work of the gospel fatally undermines the things which are, are of idolatry and the things which are of division. So the gospel offers a religious challenge, the gospel offers an economic challenge, and we see that the gospel offers a political challenge. The riot that happened in Ephesus, we see um, in Acts chapter 21, um, is tackled by city authorities, political authorities. The only, and the, the commander doesn't quite know how to deal with, uh, with the, the Christians. He doesn't know quite how to do, what to do with them. The only category that he has is, is for rebellion, for kind of political terrorist rebellion. But that's actually not quite what the Christians are doing. So he passes them from authority to authority to try and get his head round. What category can we put these Christians into? They're stirring up society. They're changing society. We don't, want to, we don't, we don't quite get why. They, it's because they're not overpowering a politi- political ra- regime through violence, but by people simply living their lives differently because their lives are laid down to Jesus. That is the big story of the book of Acts, and it ends really with a dot, 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 rather than a full stop. It ends with a dot, 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 because there are still... Um, there are still uh, religious challenges to be offered, challenges of division. There are still economic challenges to be offered, the economy of the world used in ways which don't follow the ways of the kingdom of God. There are still political challenges, again, of division to be, to be challenged by the gospel of Jesus. The book of Acts doesn't end with a full stop. It ends with a dot, 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 because it's, it's our story, the story of the Holy Spirit living in his people. The Holy Spirit living in his people makes possible what is impossible physically and socially and economically and relationally. Miraculous healings, we see them. We see miraculous communities. We see miraculous provision. The kingdom of God advances through people laying down their lives for Jesus because his is the good and the lasting kingdom. And the kingdom that we see outworked in the book of Acts looks like Jesus, looks like one who heals looks like one who welcomes, looks like one who makes wine for a wedding feast, looks like one who makes communities out of outcasts. That's what his kingdom likes. That looks like. That's what we see outworking in the book of Acts. Healing and joy and welcome and shalom. And everyone gets to play. So the question that we are um, left with and that we're going to be continuing to explore over the coming weeks is what does it mean today for us to be embodying the melody and the fragrance and the feel of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, in Peckham, in Nunhead, in Camberwell, wherever you are. The ways that we see the kingdom of God work out in the, kingdom, in, in the book of Acts are through people living their lives, laying them down for Jesus and seeing him, uh, seeing him work miracles 
in various different ways. What are the impossible things that are made possible in our lives by the Spirit of God living in us? What are the impossible things in our communities that through Jesus living in us, God can do? What are the miraculous healings? What are the miraculous communities? What are the miraculous provision that God dreams of doing in and through the places where we are? Like Messiah writing for the cellist and the clarinetist and the pianist, the Holy Spirit authors with us, with those of us that are here and offering ourselves to him. He plants dreams in us. And I think we've got dreams to dream as a church and as a, as a community here at the Six. There is more for us as we give ourselves over to him. So I'd love us to be asking Jesus to show us what are the, what are the songs that you want to author with, with us? What are the songs that you're writing for us as a community that we can plant seeds of the kingdom, that we can have in this place, in this time, see the, camp, the coming kingdom work himself out? In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be getting together uh, on the 7th of November. Uh, we're going to have a bring and share dinner here in church. We invite you to come along, bring some food. We'll share it together. We're going to gather together, break bread, eat together, and use that place as a time to share our dreams and to share our hopes and to ask the Holy Spirit to be activating our, our, um, our gifts and our, 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 to, put to, to put us together as a community to seek his mission for us as a church and as a, as a particular, as this service. And I'd love us to do that out of a place of all seeking Jesus for his dreams over the coming weeks what are the dreams that he's placing on our hearts what are you wanting us to do in this time in this community in this place what kingdom melody are you weaving together out of this bunch of people so to kind of I've done this a slightly backwards way because I'm now going to do the reading (laughs) um uh as a prayer, um, as Meg said, uh, I'm gonna, I want to read to you from this very beginning of the book of Acts where Peter sees what's going on and identifies that this is something that's been predicted from uh, centuries before the coming of the Spirit. And as I read through this, I want us to pray through it as well. I'm going to read through it once and then I'm going to read through it and pray through it for us um, to invite the Holy Spirit to come on us. So, um, Shall we, uh, yeah, shall we just um, prepare our hearts and ask God to, um, yeah, to bring to light those parts of ourselves which perhaps we haven't offered to him, we've not let, yet laid down. We see in the book of Acts that can be a struggle, but we know that God is gracious. And we see that as we lay our lives down to Jesus, So we receive from him such fullness. So let me uh, let me read as Peter as Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. 
The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, um, we recognise that we are a post-Pentecost people. And that as we stand in this place recipients of your Holy Spirit, so your promises have not expired and the things that you can pour out on your church have not run out. So we pray that you would indeed pour your Spirit out on us again today. Thank you that you say you will pour out your spirit on all people. Thank you that there's no barrier to the outworking of your spirit in us. Thank you that you said your sons and daughters will prophesy. Thank you that um, men and women can receive of your spirit and can hear your words. Thank you that you've given voice to sons and daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Thank you that age is no barrier to us receiving from you. So whether we feel old or feel young, we ask, Lord, would you cause us to see visions and dream dreams of your kingdom? Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. I wonder if, like Meg, some of us might have reactions of fear or doubt or confusion about that word prophesy. We just want to bring those those reactions to you, Lord. Whether that feels a bit much or a bit weird or a bit hard work. Uh, Lord, we want to bring you the desires of our hearts to be people who hear you and speak of you. So take our fear, take our inadequacy, take our um, incompleteness. And overwhelm us with your presence.